Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. I am your host, John Benzik, the founder of VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you don't know what you're doing. Today, I'll be interviewing Don Kelly. Don is the co-founder and president of Doctor in the Kitchen, which is a healthy food products company and the producer of Flackers, which is a raw and gluten-free flax seed cracker. I can tell you that it's a favorite around our house here in Minneapolis. The product is distributed through the Natural and Specialty Grocery Channel, and they serve about 2,000 stores nationally. As the company's president, Don has overseen all aspects of the business, everything from making their first commercial batch by hand and delivering it to their first five co-op stores to ultimately setting up a co-manufacturer. He's established and managed the company's nationwide broker network, and he's led the marketing and operations effort as well. This is our first interview that deals with a straight-up food product, so I'm super excited about this interview. Don, thanks for taking the time. I'm excited that you're here, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Super exciting. So, Don, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. The second part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help move them forward. And the final part is the let's get personal component where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Don, it's time for some questions. What do you think? Are you ready? I'm ready to go. Fantastic. Give me the basics. So Don, number one, as you heard, I provided an introduction about you and doctor in the kitchen, but in your own words, Describe your company, its product, or even the product scope, and what makes it so unique. Sure. You know, as you mentioned, I, you know, we are a, a natural foods product company, a healthy products company. And, um, you know, our product is Flackers. It's a flaxseed cracker, which is, it's raw, it's gluten-free. So what raw means is that we uh, begin the sprouting process by soaking the seeds, um, and that makes them more bioavailable, meaning they can be absorbed by your body uh, more readily because uh, uh, it, because it uh, it changes the phytic acid in the seeds, which is a uh, which helps uh, your body absorb it. So that really makes us unique out there because you don't see a lot of crackers that are raw. Uh, we're also gluten-free, which is a very big trend over the last 10 years, 10 plus years. And uh, we, we have a really uh, clean ingredient label, which is also very important to consumers these days. 
you know, so all those things make us unique. And I like to say that we're the healthiest cracker on the market, which I think we are because we're just made up and we're 95% flax seeds. And there's a lot of consumers out there today that are eating healthy and uh, who migrate to our type of product, which, which really helps us uh, get on store shelves and stay on store shelves. Don, most entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions, and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they originally expected, thereby making them scramble to make changes in order to survive. Regarding Flacker's uniqueness, did your original assumption about the product's uniqueness prove motivating to consumers, or did you discover a slightly different selling proposition after being in business for a while? What I kind of assumed would that would be that we would be uh, a very narrow niche for for some consumers or for consumers. What it turns out is that we're not, and that's been a very pleasant surprise. I thought we might exist in the natural products channel, maybe get in a little deeper into grocery uh, channel, and what changed is the market really uh, evolved quicker uh, than. I would have imagined where you have a lot of major retailers seeking out these types of products because that's who the cons- what the consumer wants. So how many employees do you have now? And the reason I ask is because when you think about distributing your product to 2,000 doors across the country, it makes me curious, and perhaps some of the listeners, how many employees are needed to support that sort of distribution? You know, I have a core team, and it consists of, three to four people and uh, two of us that are absolutely full-time on it. And we have a a sales director uh, who is not quite full-time, but spends a a considerable amount of time on the business uh, increasingly now. Uh, But then I have a bookkeeper who, you know, helps uh, an accountant who helps me with uh, the books, but that does, that's not, not just the, the number of people who make this happen. We, you know, we used to manufacture ourselves, but we outsource, outsource our manufacturing. So there's a, a whole team of people that make the flackers and, and handle the production of it. There's also a whole team of salespeople, brokers that we contract out to around the country that get us on the store shelves. So even though the core team is tiny, there's a lot of people that uh, whose hands are in getting us on the shelves. Obviously, a smaller company does not need full-time you know, people uh, to do all this. So, so you end up, uh, um, you know, kind of having fractional people. And I do also have a fractional CFO that, uh, you know, helps uh, on the strategy side of, of raising money and uh, which we're going through right now and uh, helping uh, with our uh, financials. Tell me how. So Don, here we are in the tell me how segment of the podcast where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Don, let's talk about raising capital. Did you raise capital for Doctor in the Kitchen? Uh, we've been pretty much bootstrapped from the, the get-go. Uh, it doesn't mean we haven't had to fund the company. Uh, we've put a lot of money in the company. I have personally, uh, my, my former partner did put some money in, and we also had a friend who's, who's lent the company some money. It's a real challenging prospect to raise money, and we're going through that process now to to uh, raise uh, a hunk of money to take us to the next level. So um, 
I, I, it's a learning process for me. Number one, it's, it's, it, it is almost a full-time job to really get out there and, uh, find people who have money, who have interest in your product and, uh, and believe in it as well. So we're, we're going through that right now. So what is your pitch to investors? You know, what's important for investors, what I'm learning is, you know, they are very interested in products that are, you know, in food, it's game changers they're looking for or products that are unique. So you always hear them ask, how are you unique? How are you different? Because they don't want something that's out there that's a me too product um, or that can be uh, knocked off easily. So, so that's a challenge to show them that. But, you know, I, I also, um, you know, I do that by showing what our trends are, uh, showing what, um, uh, you know, what does make us unique, uh, showing comparisons with other products. Uh, they also like to know how big the opportunity can get. And that's something I've, uh, you know, they think a little differently than I have. I, I typically try to look at how many stores are we in? How fast do we sell? And, and kind of work the formula out to figure out how we can grow. Well, they're looking at, well, how big are healthy crackers? What's the market size? And what uh, share of that can you get? So uh, I think they're, you know, they're looking at those things to try to assess, is this something that if they put money in, that they will uh, see a return uh, or a big enough return uh, to to satisfy themselves, particularly if you're talking to angel investors, because I think angel investors they're looking for, you know, they're they're putting their money in a, a myriad of different products, and with the hope that a, a few of them will succeed to make the whole investment pay off. So, you know, I, I think that's what they're looking for. And um, the challenge also is that you know sometimes people just don't like your product. So, trying to find someone who likes your product sees the opportunity and sees the, the, the growth potential. And I think when I find that, that's, that's going to be the perfect partner for me. Sure. How much money are you raising? Uh, we're raising uh, uh, about $800,000. And what will you do with the 800000 We will spend uh, that on building our team. So I mentioned that I have a core team. They're not all full-time. I'd like to bring them to full-time because I need that, and I need that to help us grow. I, I need uh, some funding for product development because I would like to have uh, uh, line extensions on the flaggers as well as new products into some new categories to help us grow. We need to carry a lot of inventory to go into new retailers. So that ties up cash. So I need it for inventory. I need it for the team. And then also I need to market it uh, because taking it to retail and working with larger retails requires you to promote and uh, you know, one step is getting it on the shelf. The next step is getting it off the shelf. And that's where the marketing and marketing through the retailers comes into play. And that's quite expensive. You had mentioned that you started originally bootstrapping the company. And when you do that from a number of years, and then as you evolve, start to think about raising capital from outside sources, did you hesitate or did it take you a while to get your head around that idea or or was it pretty simple for you to decide on that i i've gone back and forth on that you know i i, I one thing is raising equity and having uh, uh other people as owners and that's you know it's been a challenge to kind of think through and get your head around what that might look like i you know and honestly i have not experienced that with someone who i you know am, don't 
know, but would like, you know, as an investor, I, I would like to know these people and, and have them involved in the business. So I don't know how that feels, but uh, I, I know I would like to have someone who's in it with me. But I, I, uh, I also looked at, you know, and have taken on debt to help fund the company, which is a, is a you know, a cheaper way to, to fund the company. So I think what I, uh, you know, I'm still kind of going through this and, and uh, I go back and forth. I mean, I, it would be nice to not have other people in it, you know, as equity partners. But at the same time, I do want a partner that can help me uh, think through strategy, think, think through strategies and strategic direction and help uh, lend a hand on the business. Yeah. And are you, are you looking mainly for investors locally or do you look nationwide in your network of people within the natural foods industry? So definitely locally. What I am trying to do is really tap into my network and, and network with people to find people who uh, may know a friend of a friend who is investing or or an angel investor or who may know someone. So a lot of it's networking and I do that locally, but I also do it nationally. You know, you know, I go to a lot of trade shows around the country and you get to know other entrepreneurs, other, other uh, business owners um, and other people who can expand your network um, to people who are within the industry. And uh, so, so it's not just local, but it's national. Um, we're also looking at a, a kind of a platform to, um, to help us raise money called Circle Up, which uh, kind of brings together in angel investors and entrepreneurs and companies to uh, a marketplace for investing. So we're looking at that, which is a uh, national in reach. So, so yeah, to answer your question, it's both local and national. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about finding a manufacturer. You originally started assembling and manufacturing the, the product on your own. Why did you choose to contract that out and how did you go about finding a partner sure so uh we started making it ourselves on a very small scale and then we uh, you know from the get-go i was hoping to have someone else make it because what my intention was i wanted to i wanted to be more of a sales and marketing company where our focus is on you know going out and getting distribution and then uh, marketing it and growing the the brand and uh, the products but you know starting from scratch you don't have the volume that most co-manufacturers are looking for so the and when i did go out and look what response i got from the people uh people who did co-manufacturing was well you know because we're a unique product and a process they said well you figure it out yourself and then come to us when you've done that and we can maybe take it over so i i set out to do that we we did build our own you know we bought dehydrators we rented our own space um, had a team of a staff of eight people at a time making flackers for, you know, 20, not 24 hours, but for seven days straight during a week. So as we're in that, um, I realized that this is not where I want to be spending my time because it's a lot of work and, and you, and managing a staff is a lot of work. So, um, so we eventually, uh, randomly met, uh, you know, we were looking for new space. Someone else was looking for new space. That was a baker. We, uh, the real estate person put us together and, you know, thinking that we might share space. And I said, well, put me in touch with that person so I can convince them to make my product, which is what happened. 
So we started with a co-manufacturer and we're with them for a while. And then we, we just recently moved to a new one, which is, was a similar process. The, but the new one has a little bit more uh, um, capabilities and capacity to, for expansion. So help me out with this a little bit further. So when you find a manufacturer, you sort of stumbled across an opportunity here locally in the Twin Cities of finding a, a partner to help you. What business is that partner in? You said they're a baker. And what other types of products are they making and for whom? So uh, the old one was a bakery. And uh, and they made, uh, it was a traditional bakery, and they were making you know muffins and, and things like that. Uh, but this was a whole new line of business. That right, they, I would think so. Yeah, so you know they they had the space. Then you know I think there's in in manufacturing. You know there's there's people who are you know I think if you know the manufacturing process for one food item, uh, you can you can figure out what it is for the next food item. There's synergies there. You know they, they certainly had a it was a learning curve for them, but we had kind of established the process as well. And and was able to educate them on on how to make the flackers. You know, then they took it over and brought some of their expertise into it. Um, but uh, you know, certainly uh, it was new for them. And how did it affect your product cost? I think we were doing it fairly efficiently ourselves, so our product costs went up um, doing that, which was why we ended up and, and continue to go up and that's why we ended up seeking out a new manufacturer who had a little bit more um, capability to bring our costs down we're still working through that because this is very recent but uh, um, you know there's certainly it depends on how much they take on too you know i mean there are some co-manufacturers out there who you know uh, will do everything for you from buying the ingredients sourcing the ingredients buying them, warehousing the ingredients, converting it into your product, uh, packaging your product, and, and then uh, fulfilling it to your customers. Um, and that's, you know, but then there's ones where you buy the raw goods and take possession of the, the, the raw goods, and then they just process for you. So you pay them to process, and then you own the finished goods, and you warehouse it, and you fulfill it. So there's there's a lot of different variations in there. What I had always been trying to strive for is uh, someone who would be a full service uh, manu- manufacturer where all we would need to do is tell them, here's the amount of product we would need. You know, obviously, here's the formulas, here's our specifications, but, but here's the amount of product that we need for you, uh, to, uh, for you to produce for us, and then we'll you know, give us a, co- a total all-in cost. So, so we've, we've uh, achieved that uh, now with a new manufacturer, um, and we're, we're kind of sorting through that. But, you know, it's, it's a shift for us because we were spending a lot of time with our old uh, co-manufacturer managing ingredients, trying to figure out, uh, how, you know, forecasting our needs. And, you know, now we can t- spend our time and shift it to, okay, which new retailers can we go uh, out and promote with or, or get and promote with, and uh, and that's where I wanted my attention, where our new, are the new teams shift attention will be, is to how do you grow the top line? Don, keeping in mind that our listeners are new to this type of business and considering this type of business, what sort of problems are common in working with a co-manufacturer? And how can you prepare them for those issues? 
Well, there could be a lot of problems. Really, what it comes down to is who's bringing, you know, who's taking on a lot of the risk. I mean, a, a very common problem for us uh, was keeping track of inventory. A good co-manufacturer uh, should, you know, have a good process in place uh, and and uh, a good process flow in place. If you don't have that, there's a ton of things that can happen. And um, once you fall into routine, you're hopefully uh, not running into issues like that. But you know, you have to. You can't just assume that they're producing to your specifications. So you have to test them, test the specifications. We had instances where it was not to our specifications, and we ended up uh, having to have some serious discussions about that and, and how to remedy it and, and who uh, takes on responsibility for that. So, I mean, it didn't happen a lot, but those things can happen. You know, really, you want them to be able to produce uh, to your specifications and you want it to be a quality product and you want to have uh, uh, agreements in place about what happens when uh, it's out of specifications. Do you have a top number one piece of advice for finding the right manufacturer? What I, my advice would be get someone, there's people who can find you co-packers who have operational experience and expertise in, in how to work with co-manufacturers. My advice would be to find someone who's good at that, who essentially has a framework, has the base of knowledge about different, you know, what it takes to manufacture uh, quality, safe products. Find that person, work with them to find a co-manufacturer co um, and, and, and lean on them for their expertise. Because, you know, personally, I was not an expert. We, we became good at uh, knowing what our needs were, but... Um, even, even so, there's people who have been in manufacturing for many, many years who are out there and, and can help you find uh, uh, good co-manufacturers, depending on your product, of course. Don, let's talk about selling the product to retailers. My previous business that I was involved in, we distributed product through all sorts of different channels. And one of the channels that we did distribute in was grocery stores. And we realized how challenging that category was because of the cost involved with supporting the retailer, with promotional dollars, the broker's fees, and just creating the demand and awareness for the product in the stores to compete against the other products on the shelf. How did you approach retailers? You know, fortunately, based in the Twin Cities here, we have a very strong co-op market, cooperative grocery stores, natural products co-ops. And, and I didn't explain kind of how the, how the idea formed on Flackers, but I had a business partner who was a doctor who had developed the Flackers for uh, her clients. Uh, so she did integrative medicine. She was a medical doctor, but she did integrative medicine on the side, and she created the Flackers but she had these clients that she would sell them to and give them to, and they loved them, and they said, you should take this to retail. So along came me, and we actually met at a dog park and said, okay, let's, let's do this. So I have a base of knowledge uh, in sales and marketing in the food industry. So it was actually stuff I was doing on a consulting basis. So I said, great, let's, let's go for it. So what we initially did is... We well, so of course we had to figure out where we were going to make it because we couldn't do it in the basement, which is what she was doing. So we we had to find a uh, a legitimate place to make it, and we rented space at a bakery, um, where we would walk in with our soaked product, 
and make it and then come back a couple days later and have finished product. So before we, so we were experimenting doing that uh, for a bit. We were doing it in our basement, but then, you know, concurrently what we did is we came up with, uh, so the product was developed. We had the product. We didn't have the packaging. So we did some designs and we, we did some uh, pricing, costing, you know, what's, a, what's the formula, what's the cost of the formula. So we got ready uh, to, to do this because walking in front of a retailer, you, you, they're going to want to ask, they're going to want to know, well, what's the price point? What's the ingredients? Um, you know, is it organic? Uh, you know, things of that nature. And so what we did is we, we, we came up with some mock-up designs for our package. We had the product. We had a price point in mind, and we uh, we just called up some stores and said, can we come in and talk to you about a new product? I think initially I just went to our local co-op and I asked, uh, how do you sell something in? Who do I talk to? And they gave me the name of the person. We got an appointment. So we did this at about five different co-ops, and and they said, sure, that looks like something I would take on. So once we, <laughs> once we did that um, or got the approval, we said, okay, let's go to print on our packaging. And Lo and behold, we had product and we had the packaging. And then we started uh, um, uh, selling to the stores uh, directly. Me and, you know, we would get the order and I would, they would have my phone number and, and I would uh, store the product in my basement. I would take it, you know, we'd manufacture, I would store it, and then I would deliver it to the stores. So it, it was pretty simple and basic on how we did that. But it, it wasn't too difficult to get an appointment with these folks. But the you know the the challenge and what I wanted to make sure knowing you know how retail operated and how to set pricing I wanted to make sure I had visibility to what my product costs would be to make sure that I priced it with the margins the right margins in there because you're not going to be able to sell direct uh, if you're going to get big to 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 stores so you have to find go through a distributor so a distributor makes money uh, by buying your product and reselling it to the stores and they make a margin. So you got to price that margin in there. You got to price with the retailer margin uh, and expectation is uh, in there. You also have to work in what might be your promotional costs that you need to account for. So you work that into your pricing to make sure you're able to afford it. So I did that before we even approached the retailers and and I didn't just say, okay, well, it, you know, the, the cost of the product was based on me buying flaxseed at a retail price. I figured out what the wholesale price is, but I also figured out not only what the wholesale price and buying in bulk for the flax was, I figured out, well, what might it be if I bought thousands of pounds of flax, you know, at high volume levels so I could get my pricing right? Because at the same time, I didn't want to outprice myself in the market either. So you sold to distributors. You had planned that early on, which is great. And tell our listeners a little bit more about the distributor relationship you have, which is different from the retailers. Yeah, it sure is. So, so there's a, a, a there's a lot of different distributors out there, but there's a couple big ones. There's really one main one that sells into the natural products world. There's two really, but there's one big one, and they supply all the Whole Foods, and uh, and they're their name is United Natural Foods. So um, eventually, that's where we were going to get to. Um, but initially, we started with a local distributor. So a distributor, essentially, they are the ones, they have relationships with retailers. They go in, and so they will ship, you know, centrally, 
buy your product. So you ship it to the distributor. They have warehouses. Um, they mark it up, and then they resell it to the retailer. So they, you know, distributors have a sales force, so they will have people selling product. You know, so they get a new item. They have catalogs that the retailers will look through. Um, they have promotions that uh, that they have to promote your product to the retailers, and in turn, the retailers, um, you know, promote your product as well. So they do a lot of work for the retailers in sourcing product and and distributing product for them, and they're a, they're a very important part in the chain. And it's it's you really got to um, plan for working with them. And, you know, a lot of people have trouble working with distributors, but I, I like to say, you know, it's the troubles all can be managed and the problems can be managed, you know, because sometimes you're going to get a distributor who's going to buy more product than they need. And then they end up sitting on some old inventory. So you got to figure out, well, how do I control that and manage that with that distributor? So, so it really takes you know, either your good knowledge of, of, of a distributor or someone who has that expertise. And that's where brokers come into play, too, because brokers work with distributors, but also the stores. And tell us about working with brokers. And in particular, what do they do? How do you find the best ones? The broker is your contracted sales force for a particular area. area. There's a number of them out there, and some are small, some are large. Uh, they carry and represent a, a bunch of different lines of products. Um, some have hundreds of products that they represent. Some have, you know, only, you know, 20 or so. I mean, it, it, it varies considerably. But essentially, these brokers have established relationships with the retailers. They know the marketplace. They know the retailers. They know how the retailers operate. And they're the ones that are going in. They're the feet on the street going in store by store. Um, and selling your product in. You pay them a commission. Some of them, when you're starting out, you pay a retainer. You know, you essentially hire them and they go represent you. And, you, you know, you, you have to be on their radar screen too. I mean, there's a lot of good ones out there, but, but you, you know, they have, like I said, hundreds of products. So you have to make sure that you're telling them, here's what you would like uh, done. Here, you know, they, they, they need to know about your product. They need to know about what your promotional plan is what you want to do with the retailers. They, they, so, so essentially they, they have not only your product to represent, but they have your product and what the promotional plan is to sell to the retailers. How often do you stay in touch with the, the brokers and what do you talk with them about on a regular basis? So we as a company, um, in, you know, I mentioned I have a sales director who's uh, uh, an expert at doing this. Um, and managing and working with brokers. Um, so, so we as a company uh, like to be on a regular rhythm. At, initially, when I, we started, I would be in contact with the brokers. I would provide all the information that I just mentioned to them, uh, and then you know help you know work through what our strategies are and what our goals were, and then follow up on them. So, I like to be in contact at least once a quarter with. Uh, each of our brokers around the country. Um, and, and uh, you know, initially you give them a, you know, here's what our plan is for the year or for six months, and then you follow up to see how they're doing. If you have zero distribution, you will, um, will uh, want to 
give them targets to go after. I mean, they, they probably know what they're going to go after, but you have to tell them, here's, you know, here's who we want to go after and, and here's the promotional plan. So you have to be in a regular communication with them to uh, keep track of progress. And I mean, you, you also need to know this so you can tie that back to uh, your manufacturing so you have enough product to sell. So you don't want to sell ahead of yourself if you can't make enough. You know, we're in contact on a regular basis. We have an annual planning. We have planning meetings with them. We go to trade shows, uh, distributor trade shows uh, throughout the year where that's a great opportunity to meet with the brokers face to face to to review your progress. Um, but it's it's not a passive activity. It's not, oh, I've hired a broker and now they're going to go do it for me. You have to make sure that uh, you're telling them what you want to accomplish and that you're working with them to make that happen. Let's talk about marketing your product and in particular creating awareness and demand. Most startups have such small budgets, if budgets at all, for marketing their product. How did you or how are you going about creating awareness and demand for flackers? This still holds true today, even with the internet. Most people discover products at the store level. I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I think it's above 50% that people find out about your product at the store level. So first and foremost is to get distribution. And then you promote it at the store level. So if you're on the shelf, okay, well, you're on the shelf, you're one of many. So what we've done and where a lot of our spending uh, used to go and still goes is to promote with the retailers and with their programs. So you can be on the shelf, so you can stand out on the shelf by having a feature, you know, or a discount or a, a reduced price for a period of time, you can, retailers have their own programs to how to market their sale items, you know, where you could buy into their retailer flyer. So we have participated in all of that, um, along with, you know, some of the distributors um, will promote. So we've uh, to promote and run and set up ads for the retailers as well. So we've participated in both of those. But what we also did is demos, you know, product demos, people in the store sampling. So on any given, and at, in the beginning it was me, um, and then uh, and, as well as my business partner and uh, you know my some of my our employees. So we would be out there doing it, particularly locally. I mean, there there was a time when I were when we were manufacturing it when I would be down in there on a Saturday morning. Uh, making flackers because someone didn't show up, I'd I'd have flaxseed all over me. I'd go home and shower, and then I'd go do a demo. <laughs> so, so uh, you know that was a very uh, uh, a good way to do it and build retail sales levels. You know, obviously social media uh, is is a big um, help as well. We don't do as much as we should. Uh, we were fortunate at some point in time to have. Uh, uh, somewhat of a celebrity pick up our product, like it, and promote it on her website. That was Bobby Brown, who did you know cosmetics, uh, who does cosmetics. She she reached out to to us, and I didn't know who she was because obviously I'm not uh, buying cosmetics. Um, and uh, it, we we had definitely saw a boost in our sales when we were promoting, or she was promoting it. So there's certainly ways to do it online. Um, what we're trying to do more and more of now is find, um, uh, you know, as a small company, you cannot go out and buy big TV ad commercials. That doesn't even happen anymore. So, 
So, you know, what we are trying to do is associate ourselves with people who are advocates of eating healthy um, and of maybe the, a particular diet like the raw diet or gluten-free um, and going out and being uh, uh, in, in reaching out to them and, you know, uh, uh, having our product reviewed. Uh, those are things that we've done before. But a lot of our money and our spending and our time goes into promoting with retailers to make sure that we're on the shelf, that we stand out on the shelf or stand out in the store and get people to try it. Let's get personal. So, Don, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business, but they never start one. Starting a business is highly unusual and risky. What motivates a person like you to stop just talking about launching a business and then go actually go out and start a business like Doctor in the Kitchen? What kind of motivated me and, and got me to kind of do this is, you know, I used to work with the big companies. I worked at Best Buy. I worked at uh, Pillsbury. And I got, I didn't want to be back in the corp, corporate uh, America. I wanted to be more in control of my destiny. So when I was, when I met my partner, I was consulting. I don't know that I would have come up with a product idea on my own that would be successful. So I'm fortunate that I met her and, and uh, we uh, were able, and she had a product that people were interested in. Uh, but what kind of motivated me is I really was charged up by seeing other people who did this themselves, other entrepreneurs. In fact, that was where I was trying to focus my consulting was, was with people who kind of decided to, who have decided to take a risk and grow their business. And, and, and that inspired and motivated me. So, um, when I saw that, uh, Allison, my, uh, the business partner I started the business with, had this product, I was, I just said, well, why couldn't I do this? Why shouldn't we try to do this? Let's just do it. Let's see what comes of it. And fortunately, um, people liked it. Uh, they, they, we had repeat sales. And I mean, it could have been a, a six month endeavor, but the momentum and the traction that we got early on kept me going and, and kept motivating me and still does today. What have been your biggest joys of becoming an entrepreneur? Well, you know, I think for for me, it's it's uh, you're you're kind of controlling your destiny, um, uh, somewhat. I mean, it's all in your hands of to 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 make or, or break it. Really, I mean, obviously, there's there's got to be there's some good luck along the way. There's some bad luck along the way too. But um, the joys for me is to see something go from nothing to two thousand stores and you know, over a million dollars in sales for multiple years here now, which is uh, exciting. And I, you know, I, I, I get a charge out of it whenever some, a stranger uh, uh, that comes up to me or, or learns that I, uh, you know, started this company and flackers that, that they, they get all excited because they know about flackers, you know, or a friend tells them that they are hooked on flackers. That really charges me up. What have been your biggest frustrations? There's a lot of things that are also out of your control as an entrepreneur. You know, sometimes you, you spend a whole day correcting mistakes out there, and that's frustrating. Uh, you know, and, and there, there's frustrations of, geez, we're just not selling in certain places. Or, you know, unfortunately, we haven't lost a lot of distribution through the years. 
we've continued to grow, we've maintained our distribution. But when I do lose some distribution or a chain, um, it's, it's, uh, that's frustrating to me because, you know, you try your best at it and it just doesn't go over. So, so that's, that's frustrating. I think, um, it's also frustrating to when, when you, you're capital constrained because, or capacity constrained because you see the opportunity, uh, that is out there not being fully realized. So that, that ends up being frustrating when you can't fully do what you want to do. Have you experienced any self-doubt along your entrepreneurial journey? Uh, a little bit, but, you know, I think, I wouldn't say a little bit. Yeah, there's certainly self-doubt along the way. You know, like you, you doubt whether, you, you, you question yourself whether, or the product or your company, whether your company is able to make it to the next level. And, and also whether you're able to take it to that next level, you know, and handle the myriad of different things that you have to handle as an entrepreneur um, or a business owner. It's um, I still get people who, you know, know that I'm doing this, but don't fully know about the business. And they they ask me, so is this something that's full time for you? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like they it's like it's uh, they think it's a hobby and it's it's but it's it's a full time gig and there's a. a a bunch of stuff that needs to happen on any given day or in any given year to make everything work uh, uh, together. So I know that you can kind of make what make things happen if you want and if you have the resources. So I can get over that pretty quickly. Has starting your own business changed you as a person? Oh, I think it has. I think it has for sure. You know, um, you know, when I was a, uh, I was fairly shy as a, a kid. And my dad was a salesman, and I, and he would always say, "Look, you got to go out and you gotta, uh, you gotta talk to people." What I and he goes, "You got to ask for something. You're not going to get an answer, uh, you know. So what if someone says no? Well, you know, I, I think I fully realized that and live like that now. Is you know, you, you're not going to get something if you don't go out and 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 ask for it, or at least make an attempt at it. And I think being an entrepreneur, you have to be like that. And and I think that's changed me. And I think that was kind of in, in, a, in a corporate setting, it was, uh, you know, challenging there or it didn't challenge me as enough there to do that. Now, as an entrepreneur, you just it's your livelihood. So you have to do it. What have you learned most about yourself since starting Flaggers? You know, um, I think there's a couple things that I, mean, I probably knew this, but I didn't fully think through it uh, is I, I'm quite resourceful. If there's a problem, there's always a solution, and I think I can figure it out. Um, and and I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be, you know, very important is that you have to be resourceful. You have to wear many hats, and you got to be able to figure uh, and and manage your way through problems and challenges. And I think I've discovered that I'm pretty good at that. Who has been most influential to you, either professionally or personally? You know, I I would say. So influential, you know, I just mentioned my dad and, and you know, I think my family and the supportiveness of my family through the years, you know, not specifically about being an entrepreneur, but just in, you know, you, you, they give you advice through, as you're growing up, as you're, you know, as they're raising you, they give you advice on, on, and give you a, a guide on how to live. And, and I think that's been influencing, influential for me. You know, I mentioned how my, how my dad would, he was a salesman and he would always go and talk to everyone. And, and, um, and I've discovered that just networking and talking to people 
you know, the, that that has been very helpful. And, and I think that's the influence that my family and my dad in particular had on me. But I also, you know, think, um, you know, there's a, a ton of people in my network of people I used to work with at General Mill or Pillsbury and Best Buy. And, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, in my network that have influenced me that that helped me out still to this day, which is great. Finally, did I miss any questions that you feel you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? I would say seek out people who have done it. And, and if you don't have the experience yourself, um, you know, talk to people. You know, there, there's, uh, just find some people that who have done it. Ask to meet with them. I've had people do that with me. I've done it with uh, you know, other people. Ask, go out, ask them questions, ask them uh, how they did things. And, and people are, I think there's people out there that, that are, are generous with their time that, that could certainly set you in the right direction. It, it could be a little piece of advice that turns out to be a golden piece of advice. You know, I think, um, I think that would be my advice to people trying to start a, anyone trying to start a, a food business. Find someone who's done it, talk to them, and, uh, you know, have them as a mentor if, or, or use them as a mentor or, um, you know, someone to help them. Uh, make sure they're doing it the right way. Don, you've been a great guest, offering some great stories and advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success, for your entrepreneurial courage, and thank you for sharing your experiences. You bet. No problem. I enjoyed it. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business. 